Welcome to today's episode of the Plain Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Wes. I want to welcome you all to the second episode of the Plain Truth Podcast, and our guest today is Mike DeLorenzo. Mike and I met in, what, about 2001 or maybe in 2000 when my wife and I first went out to serve with AIM Air in Kenya. Mike and his uh, family were already serving there on the field. And I think we very first met in Tanzania. We went our, started our orientation with a short uh, stint down in Tanzania where you and your wife were, were serving. And so it's great to have you. And I want to welcome you to the podcast and want to just begin by asking you, tell us about your aviation story and how you got into aviation and what you're doing now. Thanks, Wes. It's great to be here. Yeah, I think you got that right. I think it was 2000. And yeah, we were down in Tanzania, my wife and I, we had a young baby. You guys had your first baby, I think. We did. He was 11 months old. Yeah, I think we have some old pictures of them together. <laughs> Mine's getting married in like three months. That's incredible. <laughs> it's crazy. Incredible. Um, well, how to, how to get my start. Uh, I grew up under the downwind leg of Essex County Airport in North Jersey. And when I was a kid, uh, airplanes just flew over my house every day. <laughs> um, by the time I got old enough to ride my bike places, I just started to follow the airplanes and uh, found the airport and just kind of became a place that I don't know, drew me in, intrigued me. So, um, in some ways, this was like the 1980s, that'll date me, but I was that quintessential airport kid. So I was a kid on his bike outside the fence, looking in, dreaming of flying airplanes. And, you know, 11 years old, 12 years old, whatever. By the time I was 14, year old, 14 I, got, I got on the other side of the, of the fence there at Eskikin Airport and got invited in to uh, take a look at some airplanes and there's a flight school there that I got in, uh, I think it was a little, called like a discovery flight or something. It was probably $10 back then. Right. <laughs> and uh, I still remember that, just the 14 year old kid and uh, up in a 152 um, flying over my hometown and, you know, the instructor let me put my hands on the controls I, and I, he gave me the impression that I landed the airplane. I don't think I actually did, but <laughs> it was it left a good impression. Anyway, I was hooked. Um, you know, I, I already had that interest in airplanes, but getting up for that first time really um, sparked my imagination. By the time I was 15, I, I begged for a job at the airport and got hired and, um, you know, washing bugs off of wings and you know, kind of helping the mechanics in the shop, that sort of thing. And uh, I actually started, I just worked there throughout high school. Um, started uh, taking flying lessons there. Uh, in fact, right here in my office where I'm talking to you, next to me, leaning against the wall is a propeller. And it is the prop off of the 152 that I soloed when I was 16 years old in 1988. Wow. I still have the prop. Wow. Um yeah, I got my uh, private when I was 17 and I had my heart set on being a jet pilot. And yeah, I don't, that's how I got my start. The airport kid with the big imagination. All right. 
So where did it go from there? What was your first flight job? Your actual career? Actually, first time you ever got paid to fly an airplane instead of paying masses of money to fly the airplane. Yeah. I probably shouldn't say because it was before I had a commercial pilot's license. <laughs> All right. We won't incriminate each other here. <laughs> it was the 1980s. Let me just say that. So my first like actual flying job. Yeah. I um. So really, I think it's an important juncture there. I, um, when I was, yeah, when I was uh, working on my, my private and had my heart kind of set on, uh, you know, flying a biz jet, flying the airlines, that sort of thing, you know, just kind of, you know, probably what any, any kid aspiring to fly would be aspiring towards. So that was, that was what I had in mind. And when I was 16 years old, so it's in the middle of kind of this sort of aviation was my world time of life. I went to an air show. I went to Oshkosh, the air show. And I unexpectedly ran into a pilot with Mission Aviation Fellowship, if you've ever heard of them. Mm -hmm. So out in the midst of, you know, all the beautiful airplanes at Oshkosh, there was this, this 206 with a cargo pod and mud flaps and stole kit you know riveted onto it and and a helmet sitting next to it and this gravelly old bush pilot sitting at a table with some brochures and it just for some reason that really caught my attention so i went and started talking to him i must have spent a whole afternoon uh, talking to this uh maf pilot who had been flying in south america and uh he sent me home with a vhs tape against <laughs> I'm dating myself, but this, this tape was just like, uh, it was just full of like training videos. Like I think they, they did their training out in like Idaho, uh, you know, in the mountains and stuff. So it was just full of all these like, you know, trips, you know, rivers and, and mountains and 206s and 185s and such. And, uh, I went home with that, bro you know, with the brochure and that training tape of MAF bush pilots. And, uh, it, I don't know, that really, uh, kind of started to change my thinking. I thought that was really interesting. And it wasn't just because of the kind of flying. It was, you know, I got to sit down with that pilot and learn about what he was doing. And, you know, Mission Aviation Fellowship is, you know, one of those organizations around the world that um, puts missionary pilots into, you know, remote places all over the world. Um, and they're out there, you know, serving the church. They're serving missions. They're serving a lot of humanitarian organizations. Um, so it's sort of like, you know, a different purpose to the flying than maybe what we traditionally think of. I hadn't really thought about that before. And that really kind of caught my heart too. Hmm. Um, so yeah, here I'm 16, 17, uh, just got my private and applied to Embry-Riddle. <laughs> uh, of course. Yes. Um, and got accepted to Embry-Riddle, but then I started talking to um, another school called Moody. Bible Institute, which I had heard trains the world's best missionary pilots, um, and applied there, and I got accepted to Moody. And had I remember, you know, kind of finishing up high school, I had these two, these two acceptance letters, one from Ember Riddle and one from Moody Bible Institute, sitting on my mom's kitchen table, and uh, it was like it was like sort of like that, you know, fork in the road <laughs> kind of moment, you know. Uh -huh. Um, what kind of, what kind of flying did I, did I want to pursue, you know? Um, and yeah, I don't know, long story short, 
Uh, I never um, returned the uh, the letter um, to Embry Riddle. I went up to Moody for five years, uh, which included two years of Bible school and a uh, year, year or so of maintenance training to get an AMP, and then uh, enough flight training to get me qualified for the next step to go be a missionary pilot. So, um, so that was the, the route I took. So that all led to my first flying job, which was towing banners <laughs> in Myrtle Beach. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah. So I unfortunately graduated from flight school in 1995, which was probably one of the worst years in the history of aviation to go find a job in aviation. Um, I, I don't I, you know, back then, you know, I was a college kid and really understand what was going on, but I think it had something to do with um uh, downsizing in the U.S. Air Force, which pushed a whole bunch of pilots to the airlines, which was a whole bunch of pilots down the line, down the line, down the line, and they just weren't in right. So right. I literally couldn't find a job. Um, so, yeah, I picked up a job towing banners in a Super Cub and uh, working on the planes. And I did that mm-hmm. just for a summer, and the, I did that mainly so that I could work on a CFI. Kind of had run out of money there at the end of school. Um, so I spent that summer towing banners and getting a CFI over at American Flyers down in Myrtle Beach. That was an experience. And, and then I went and found another job, flight instructing and did that for a couple of years. So how did you end up in, in, Af- in East Africa? Right. So, yeah, uh, my, obviously, you know, when I chose to go to Moody, my, my destination was somewhere in the world where God needed pilots. That was kind of what was on my mind. I didn't have any particular place, but I went into that training specifically to be um, of service to missions somewhere. Um, so by the time I was ready for all that, um, you know, got my ratings, got my hours, uh, got my school loans paid off. Um, at that point, uh, I was married. We're a young couple with no kids. Really flexible and mobile. We could have done anything, gone anywhere. So, of course, the the first thing I did was uh, went and gave a Mission Aviation Fellowship a call because remember where the story began. Right. That's all, the only organization you knew of at the time. That's right. I said, you know, hey, you guys need pilots. Where you need pilots? And they're like, oh my goodness, yeah. So we just started down the path of um, applying with MAF and going to work with them. And it was, yeah, it was just weird. Like, um, it just wasn't falling into place. There was a couple of qualifications that MAF needed from me and my wife that we were finding hard to get checked off on the boxes and we were getting delayed. Um, so although my heart was set on joining math and just going where they needed me. Um, at some point we just took a pause and we thought maybe this isn't where God wants us to go. Cause, um, there's, you know, it doesn't seem like the doors are opening as much as we thought they would. And, uh, so at that point I just opened up, my, this is before like the internet, sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I opened up my file cabinet and, uh, you know, I had this like folder full of brochures that I picked up at missions conferences. You know, I was, just, I was at Bible school for a couple of years and had been to a couple of church mission conferences and I'd run into different organizations that had, had utilized airplanes and such. So I pulled out some brochures and then came across one for Africa inland mission and, and, uh, remembered they flew in East Africa. So I gave them a call and, from the moment we called AIM to the time we were on the ground in Africa was like 14 months, which for your listeners, like maybe not, may not mean much, but that's like really, really fast. There are so many steps um, 
to go from, hey, I'm interested in, in serving with you guys in Africa to actually arriving. So many steps. So, so it was kind of like the opposite. We saw all the doors kind of opening um, very easily and wide. And that, that gave us a sense that, hey, this, this is um, God's direction. This is where God wants us to go. Um, Ames in East Africa, their, their AMER, their, their main base at the time was Nairobi, Kenya. So that's where we went. Um, I remember my wife and I we were 25 years old. And um, we arrived in Nairobi. And for the first time, for the first time at all, like it dawned on me, oh, we're going to live in Africa. Like <laughs> all this time, I'm just like, I'm just busy checking up boxes, jump through hoops, you know, qualifying for this and getting that done and this paperwork done, et cetera. And like, I hadn't really given much thought to like the where, you know, and um, that's how much like we were just open, I think, to wherever. I think that mm-hmm. that kind of underscored that for us. We're like, hey, God, send us where there's a need where you can use us, send us to the place that's right for us. And we'll just follow. And when we got there, we're like, oh yeah, this is where we are. That, that kind of underscored the, you know, that kind of approach that we were just following the next open door. And that was us. Yeah. Young couple um, in Nairobi, Kenya, 1997 with, I had officially all the training and qualifications I needed to be there and to do that job. And yet it was just the beginning. Yes. So, you know, our listeners are going to be hopefully uh, very interested in learning. Well, what kind of training did you specifically need to be a missionary pilot, to be a bush pilot, someone who's flying, you know, in uncharted regions of of Africa where there's very little um, air traffic control support or navigation facilities? What kind of training did you need to do that? Yep. The, you know, they're, they're very little bit from organization to organization, but generally, um, you know, someone who's going into mission aviation is going to need, uh, you know, just the basics, commercial instrument. Um, they'll want you to have a tailwheel endorsement in there. And, uh, most positions in different fields would want the pilot to also have an AMP. So it's very common to have gone to a maintenance school somewhere in there and to have picked up some experience as well. Um, and then there's a layer on top of all that. So you got your ratings, you got your AMP, you got a tailwheel endorsement. Um, there's this layer of um, literally training for like tactical bush flying. And we get go into a place like Moody, they, they definitely kind of start you down that path, but you don't have to go to a place like Moody to get into mission aviation. We've had pilots with AMR who were, you know, Air Force fighter pilots, right? And they didn't go through a school like Moody or Letourneau, one of these schools that actually trains mission aviators. Um, so all of us have this, this point where we arrive. For AIM uh, pilots, we all end up at JARS Training Center, which is in Waxhaw, North Carolina. And that's uh, it's an aviation training center um, for Wycliffe Bible Translators, which is another organization that's had aviation for, for many decades, supporting their work around the world. And uh, we partner with them, AMER, um, to send all our pilots there for initial training, recurrent training. Um, when guys become training pilots themselves, they go through jars again. Um, so that initial, you, you know, you got to go there first for an orientation or an evaluation, um, which is like a, we call it, the evaluation is like a week long uh, um, 
job interview <laughs> where you're you're flying and you're you're working on airplanes um, and you're in a classroom and you're just there for a whole week and they're really kind of looking to see if you've got the potential for um, what they know you're going to get into. All those guys that are training you there um, have been there. They're pilots in Papua New Guinea flying around the mountains or you know in South America and. Um, so they kind of know what you're going to face and they're looking to kind of see if you've got some of those, a lot of the, a lot of those, um, human factor things, um, are huge. Um, not only the aptitude, you know, with, with uh, aviation and maintenance, but, um, the, the other elements, you know, the human factors and your attitude and your, your pilot command mentality and your, how teachable are you? And, um, a lot of those things. And then they're going to work on those. You'll go back then for nowadays, uh, pre-field orientations, months, months long. It's two and a half months, I think. And they take you um, from being a really good pilot to an excellent bush pilot in those two and a half months. Um, graduation airstrip. Do you remember Wes is, uh, is it 600 feet? Yeah. Side of the mountain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With uh, no go around. Yep. One way. And I remember the, was it? Brown, Brown right. airstrip, Farmer Brown, and he yeah. was about 900 feet. <laughs> yeah. That one's not uphill as much. So that one felt almost like <laughs> you really get on the brakes there. Whereas, uh, yeah, the ones up the side of the mountain, you almost don't need the brakes. You make them add a little power once you get the wheels on the ground. But yeah. So they just really refine those skills in you. Um, so that's that's a big piece. You can't go fly with AMR, you can't go fly with MAF or a lot of these other organizations that that um, bring mission aviators to these remote places without going through one of these uh, training programs. Mm -hmm. But so, yeah, there's that. And then you arrive on the field and there's a whole nother layer of training, right? You got to learn um, a lot of procedures that are specific to that field. You got to learn the routes, the airstrips. Um, you know, there's a lot of unique airstrips um, in different places that we fly that require a checkout. Um, because their procedure is so non-standard, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. so, so yeah, there's training and then training on top of that and some more training and then you get on the field and there's a bit more training. <laughs> right. So, so what airplanes did you fly and what was your favorite? What was your favorite airplane to fly? Oh, my favorite plane is the Grand Caravan. I love the Caravan. Um, so Amer had a handful of those. So uh, 208B with... Uh, the car, full cargo pod and, you know, out in Africa, we can fly them with uh, 14 seats. I don't think you can do that in the States um, or one seat and a whole lot of cargo. Right. <laughs> Both, right? Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much a Cessna pilot, you know, flown, you know, Cessnas when I was a flight instructor and then out in the field, 206, 210, 208, um, almost all of my time on those airplanes. Um, I like them all. Two to six sounds like a Harley. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. There's something special about the caravan. Uh, I loved it. So thinking back of your time in Africa, how many years in total did you spend? Um, we were 17 years out there. So we started out no, no, no kids at all. And we came, came home with a, um, like a 15 year old and a 13 year old and, um, kind of, we moved back uh, stateside about uh, six years ago. So, um, yeah, so we were out 17 years and, uh, most of that time I was uh, flying full time. And then towards the end, I, uh, 
kind of started splitting my my job or my ministry up and had a different niche I was getting into. Okay. I remember one of my favorite flights um, when I was in Kenya actually was with you. And you may or may not remember this, but there was a airstrip in the northern part of Kenya named Kor. We went there a lot. And there was a South African missionary family there, uh, Nick Swanepoel. And and they had been there decades working on Bible translation Mm -hmm. for a tribe called the Rendili. Mm -hmm. And I remember you and I had the opportunity, it was was incredible, to fly a group of people from uh, the Summer Institute of Linguistics. They had just finished translating the Bible. I think they'd finished the New Testament. And you and I got to take two 206s. And I remember kind of flying from Nairobi up to the north, kind of in a very loose formation (laughs) all the way. And we spent like three or four days up there and we kind of did some hopping around in what was called the Northern Frontier. And I have a picture to this day that you took of me on on like a porch at one of the places we were staying in Marsabit when there were elephants in the background. You remember this? Yeah. It was at the crater and you can see the elephants down in the lake. And and I came across that picture not too long ago. And there was another picture of, I think you took of me landing on the runway on the airstrip in core. And that's a, that's a trip I'll never forget, but what's a, a most, a very memorable flight. And I know to sum up 17 years of flying in East Africa with one would be really difficult, but you know, what, what are some experiences that just really stand out? Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's always a hard question, Wes. There's a bunch. I mean, I, um, I have all these little, all these little moments, you know, in my mind of, of, you know, times when, you know, me as a pilot out in Africa sort of intersected with a much larger story. And, mm-hmm. um, and so it was, you know, so it was about people and sometimes it was people in crises. So, you know, flying evacuations, sometimes it was things like that, you know, flying out a Bible translation. And, um, but like the, these are like birds in my memory. There's like, you know, they kind of play back every once in a while. Cause you know, you've heard the ad- adage, right? Like that, that flying is what, you know, it's like, hours and hours and hours of sheer boredom punctuated by moments of, of terror. <laughs> like mission aviation is hours and hours and hours of sheer boredom punctuated by like moments of like catching a glimpse of God's glory and God's story. Um, and it's those glimpses that, you know, I can, I could probably sit around, you know, and just conjure them up and then tell you the whole story um, with them. But so here's one. Um, I'll try to tell it fast. So uh, a lot of, a lot of our uh, flying was in South Sudan. South Sudan was, uh, you know, it appeared a civil war at the time that I was a pilot up there, a whole decade of flying up there. I did during a time of civil war. Um, and it was hard to get in another country for uh, people to travel you know, very insecure. And of course, South Sudan is just really uh, 40 years of war up to that point. So infrastructure was terrible. So aviation was just so needed for almost anything. So one of the uh, ministries we helped did a lot of uh, training for lay pastors. So you have all these Sudanese pastors of all these little churches and all these little villages throughout South Sudan who really have no training. Um, they 
they don't have books. They've never sat, you know, in a class and, and learned uh, theology or, you know, how to pastor a church, those sorts of things. Um, so there's a ministry that would, would gather up these pastors and bring them to like this border town called Lokichogio in Nairobi and train them for like nine weeks. And then we'd take them all back. Um, so this was, this was a job for the caravan, right? Cause we'd be bringing in like 30 students. So we'd have several caravans zipping around on pickup day and on drop off day. Um, and you're going from little crooked dirt airstrip, you know, on, on the banks of, of the Nile to one up in, in, in the hills and, um, you know, just place to place. And you have to like adjust your, your route so that, you know, by the time you're full, you're at the longest strip. Because the shortest strip, you're not getting out of it with 12 people on board, you know. So like, this is all this coordinating. And to, to get a full airplane of Sudanese pastors, pick them up, fly them down to Nairobi. And um, in the nine weeks, we'd be flying them back. And so one of these one of these moments that just really sticks with me and I remember was this trip where we're flying these pastors home. So I load up the caravan, probably... 12 or 13 guys in there and, and their stuff. And they're, they, you know, they've got this new box of uh, pastor resources and books and things for their church, which is cool. So the, the, the pods are loaded up and uh, it's a long day. It's like a 14 hour day. Um, <clears throat> and so I'm flying from airstrip to airstrip all over Sudan and I'm just so exhausted. Um, and you know, often things aren't going according to plan. That's part of mission aviation. There's not much infrastructure out there. There's no fuel stops unless we left a couple of drums of fuel at an airstrip a month ago, you know, and they're still there, that kind of thing. So, you know, it's just long, tiring, um, sometimes frustrating because things aren't working well. And I just remember that day not, not loving my job. And I kind of had a bad attitude. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, so it was just kind of piling up. And the tireder I got, the worse my attitude got. Um, so it's getting close to the end of the day. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to my last stop. It's me and, you know, I've, I've already probably made eight stops already, dropped off, you know, a dozen guys. I got one, one more guy left. You know, all these guys are just these amazing, humble, salt of the earth, you know, men who, who live in a, a war zone in hardship and... Um, sacrifice much to pastor some small church. They're just amazing people. Um, and, you know, so here I am dropping off the last one of these guys. And I get, you know, land at the airstrip and there's just like nobody there, nothing. Just, you know, when some of these strips are just out in the middle of the bush and you don't even know hardly that it is the airstrip. So I land and I just park by a tree because that's what we do. If there's nowhere else to park, just find a tree. <laughs> and, uh, I get out and I'm like, man, I'm just going to leave him here because there's no, there's, there's nobody to pick him up, but he'll find his way. He's got this big trunk of books he got at Bible school. I don't know how he's <laughs> going to carry it through the bush, you know, but I'm, I got a bad attitude. I'm just dropping him off. So I get the door open. He gets out. I go unload the cargo pod. And then by the time I walk around the other side of the plane again, um, I hear like singing and I realize there's this like, crowd of people like coming from you know the forest towards the airstrip and you kind of hear them getting closer and i kind of see them now kind of slipping through the trees and coming out onto the airstrip and i realize in that moment it's this guy's like congregation this is his church 
Um, mm. And they're singing and they're celebrating. And, you know, as they get closer to the plane, it just gets louder and louder and louder. And um, they, uh, the group of them kind of come around the plane, they pick up his things, they got his, his big trunk of books, it's really heavy, you know, some lady puts it on her head. And um, so they're just carrying his stuff. And then all of a sudden, they pick up this guy, and, and they put him up on their shoulders. And <clears throat> they start to like parade him around the airplane singing. Hmm. So I tell you how those, those moments kind of stick. And I can yeah. still hear the singing. And you can still hear the singing. Yeah. It's one of the most beautiful things I ever saw. Yeah. Because, you know, here's this, here's this young man, um, a nobody in the eyes of the world, right? Absolute nobody. Um, who was <clears throat> loved and missed and appreciated. Their pastor had come home, you know, and he's, he's, you know, this, he's, they were just honoring him and celebrating him and celebrating what he was bringing back with him, which was more knowledge of God's word and the resources to better pastor his church in the middle of one of the harshest places in the world, Wes, just, and here I was this like American guy with everything, including a bad attitude. <laughs> um, <laughs> And there's, there's such a contrast, you know, and I'm, I'm sitting on the tire, our giant oversized mud tire on the caravan. And I'm just watching this and I start to kind of tear up and, you know, they circle the plane a couple of times with this guy on his shoulders and singing, dancing, and, and then just kind of back into the forest and disappear down a path. And I just hear the singing fade away, fade away, fade away, fade away. And it's just me and the caravan empty on an empty airstrip at the end of a day my uniform is filthy i got tears in my eyes mm. and i thought in that moment i thought this is this is why i became a missionary pilot this is why i went out here to do this to 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 be a servant to god's servants mm. and in that moment I saw I saw that clearer than I ever had, I think, um, out on the field. Um, so yeah, I, I honestly I just sort of I just sort of lingered there sitting on the wheel for a long time and just contemplating it, <clears throat> repenting a little bit for my attitude throughout the day, you know. Mm -hmm. Thankful, thankful for what for what God let me see. Yeah. And it's pretty pretty awesome. So <clears throat> That's yeah, great. every once in a while, if if I'm if I'm having a bad attitude, I think about that time. Mm -hmm. Think about that day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just made me think as you were telling me that story. Uh, back to the flight that I was sharing with you a few minutes ago, I'll never forget the and singing brought this up that when. Mm -hmm. When we had unloaded the the Bibles, the new the new translations out of our airplane, and people in the in the village and the tribe began walking out, and I too to this day remember their singing, and the joy, and the excitement, and 
just the the hunger for finally having the Bible in their own language. Yeah. And I'll never forget the sound of their singing. And um, I remember we we videoed that. I think I shared a copy of that with you at one point, but I still have that on video and I'll never forget that singing as well. It was incredible. Um, Which kind of brings me to the next question. You has aviation in itself taught you anything about the, the attributes of God? Or has, or even at wording it another way, has God revealed to you a biblical principle through aviation? Yeah, probably dozens. Probably dozens of them, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. One that, one that you know, I I bring up um, sometimes when folks ask me, you know, about one of the things I love about aviation. Um, I feel like aviation gives us this kind of special um, appreciation for perspective. Um, pilots, you know, they kind of they kind of a special uh, kind of privileged seat, right up there in the cockpit, kind of above the clouds, above the world. Um, we we actually can view the world literally from a different perspective that very few get to see at least very often um and uh so i feel like there's this principle of perspective and um there's a psalm uh, psalm 73 yeah i encourage you to read through it sometime uh it's a psalm of perspective right it's a psalm of asaph and it starts out where he's He's kind of complaining. <laughs> this kind of goes back to my story a little bit. Now he's complaining. He's like, he, he's like, I look at the world and like, where's God in it? You know, I see wicked people prospering and, um, and me, you know, I've, I've always tried to let, you know, do what's right for God, but I don't see any benefit in it. You know, he's like, he's like totally lost perspective. Right. And then in the middle of Psalm, um, you know, pull it up. He says, you know, when I thought about and I tried to understand this, it was a wearisome task. Like I, I just like, I was exhausted trying to figure this out until I went into the sanctuary of God. Um, and there's this like change in perspective when Asaph kind of pulls away from the distractions of the world and he considers things, um, from the pre- the perspective of the presence of God, let's put it that way. From the perspective of the presence of God, he sees it all differently. Like so, the second half of the psalm is really sweet and rich. Um, and here, verse twenty-five, you've probably heard this before. He kind of concludes with this. He says, "Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever." Um, so he goes from, you know, kind of having this, like, he was just confused and overwhelmed by everything he was seeing. And then he had this moment of, like, pulling back and trying to see things through God's eyes. And then suddenly he saw it all differently. Um, and then he suddenly saw it correctly, you know, um, that whom have I, or nothing on earth I desire besides you, and that God is, God is his portion forever. So, 
So I guess the connection to aviation is this. I feel like, you know, one of the things I got to see, um, particularly in Africa, was a really troubled world, right? Um, I talked about flying in Sudan. It was a war zone. Um, I got stories from Somalia, from the Congo, um, some that I haven't even told my mom yet. <laughs> They're a little crazy. <laughs> but I saw a really, at times, I saw a really chaotic and, and broken world. And that's what it looks like on the ground. And it's like so overwhelming. And then like I'd get up, you know, get the plane loaded, take off and start flying. And I'd be like, wow, Somalia is beautiful. You know, South Sudan's gorgeous. This is a you know beautiful country. Is there something about like changing your perspective and you can kind of pull away and reflect? So aviation just gives me, has given me a lot of opportunities to reflect on, on life, on the things um, troubled with in life, um, things that seem like big problems from a different angle, look a little differently. And just that's that general principle, you know, ultimately as a Christian, it's a God's presence that gives us that, that ultimate perspective, the right perspective that helps us to discern, you know, the troubles that we have in our life or the questions that we have, or the things that are, are giving us anxiety or whatever. Um, so I've often, I've just often reflected on, how I saw a war zone differently on the ground and in the air and how I see life differently sometimes when I'm walking on my own versus walking, you know, in the presence of God, like Asaph did in this Psalm. So yeah, that's the, that's the lesson I would probably put at the top of my list. Aviation's taught me to see and to understand that that's something we need to do in our relationship with the Lord as well. Yeah. Um, change our perspective so we can see things clearly, differently, more correctly. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I can relate to that. I've had many times flying and just looking down and, you know, even if you fly across our country and you see how the, the terrain just transitions from the lush green of the, of the Eastern United States. And as you begin to move West it's drier and drier and drier. And then you get into the, the semi-arid desert of, you know, West Texas and you get into Arizona and New Mexico and it gets drier and drier. And then of course, when you hit the West coast, it becomes lush again. <clears throat> but then just seeing, you know, what they describe as the, as kind of the, the watershed of the mm -hmm. U S and you can, it's almost as if you could see the hand of God, how he just carved, the the terrain and form the mountains and i begin to realize exactly what you're saying just how small we really are how small we are which is so humbling but then to realize that despite how small we are look at what god has done for us and despite our weakness and how small we are god through jesus gave his life so that we can have life and what greater love is that um and that's just so humbling so humbling but that's a that's a great great verse psalm 73 we'll definitely be looking that one up um you know what advice you know after 17 years in missionary aviation what advice would you give you the younger you if you could go back 17 20 years ago and say hey mike <laughs> do this <laughs> learn this lesson now <laughs> what advice would you give yourself uh, 
probably a lot of advice, Wes. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you get to my age and you don't have advice for your younger you, then you haven't matured very much. Yeah. All kinds of advice. Thankfully, I've been able to pass that on to my son. He hasn't appreciated that all the time, but <laughs> right. here's some things I wish I would have learned. Yeah. I don't know. Younger me going into flying. I, I mean, the, it's probably a good way to put this. I mean, it's, it's interesting because aviation is demanding in many factors, many ways. Um, and you know, like we, we, you know, I, I had a, I had to be back by sunset, right? Because we're landed at airstrips that don't have lights, you know. <laughs> like, there's only so much, you know. Oh, yeah, we can delay a little longer. So, but I often there was always a tension. There's often is a tension between <clears throat> the demands of the job and the opportunities to um, invest in people and in the moment, and uh, I would tell myself to slow down. There were times, definitely a few times when that wasn't possible. Uh, you know, you gotta you gotta really turn the airplane around really quick because we're up against sunset or, mm-hmm. and I've loaded an airplane <laughs> mortars going off in the background. So sometimes you need to be in a hurry, but um, overall, you know, I would tell myself to slow down, you know, take a few more minutes to talk to, that guy that helped you load the airplane, that young Sudanese guy, or, um, you know, the, the missionary before you shut the doors or, um, there, there were many, many more opportunities, I think, to, um, elevate people above task in my aviation career that I wish I'd done more of. And I would, I would say for any pilot, you know, you know, it depends on your, your, your environment. Um, but you know, yeah, if we're, if we're serving people with our aircraft, you know, be it the, you know, the businessmen that we're flying around or the missionaries we're picking up that are on our trip, we're, it's about the people. It's not about the airplane. We're, We're getting people and things to places they need to go. And it's, airplanes are kind of miraculous tool that we have to do that with and but pilots we do tend to be really technical and tend to you know really be on task which is appropriate in a lot of ways you know for safety and such but i think there was more time in there there was more time in those years to slow down and invest more in people and i would i would give myself advice to do that I also would tell myself to take my kids with me flying more often. So find ways to get my kids. Uh, we had a, a son and a daughter um, that we raised out in Africa, most Latin Africa, and they, you know, finished up their high school here in the States. And, um, and now they're gone, you know, they're off. Both my kids are getting married and um, starting their lives. And uh, they're not aviators, and I wish I shared more of it with them. Um mm-hmm. Cause it's, it's, it's such a big piece of me, you know, I've said aviator since, well, <laughs> since I was 11, I was chasing airplanes from, you know, mm-hmm. on my bike to, um, all those years in Africa. And, um, I wish I shared more of that life with them and some of the adventure of it. And I did do it to some degree. I just wish I did it more. So yeah, those are two things I would, uh, I guess that second one is kind of related to the first, isn't it? 
yeah. you know, just elevating people a bit above the task. Right. I know that's something I've oftentimes struggled with is, uh, you know, when you're such, especially being in an industry that is so driven by time and by schedules, right. You know, make sure you push on time and arrive on time and don't be late. And, but yet it's so easy to overlook the reason we're doing this whole thing. The reason we're operating these airplanes is to serve. And it doesn't matter whether it's in, you know, a mission environment or an airline or a corporate, mm -hmm. it's for people. And that's a great reminder. If you haven't read it, I'd, I'd encourage you to read the essay by C.S. Lewis called um, The Weight of Glory. Uh, it's in a book called The Weight of Glory, but it's just one of many essays. It's profound and mm. challenging and confounding and but there's there's a quote in there you might um you might remember hearing at some point he says there are no ordinary people you have never met a mere mortal and it, it's really all about how um people really are the most the most valuable thing in all of creation you know mm -hmm. and um as you mentioned before <laughs> Christ came to seek and save the lost. And mm -hmm. um, God's story is wrapped up in searching for his lost sheep and redeeming his people. And, um, and here we are, you know, in the midst of that story. And we cross paths with people all the time. And um if we start to, this is a perspective thing too, <laughs> tying all my themes together. Which is great. <laughs> if, if we if we take a moment to think about like what C.S. Lewis is saying in that essay, you know, like this this guy I'm sitting next to in the cockpit isn't just another pilot. This is a person of of immense value. Yeah. yeah, this is someone who Christ died for whom God loves, who has a unique story. Um, it's not just someone that I'm going to accomplish a task with. This is, yeah, this is some something, you know, quite profound and miraculous, this person sitting next to me. I should take some time to get to know this person, you know, and um, maybe I should take a little more time than I normally do. Yeah, it's just a real challenging, um, I think, perspective to have to you. And, and as you said, aviation for all its amazing gifts, I think sometimes uh, can can turn us into people who are who are very much task oriented people, and sometimes even social. You know, you're a super social guy, Wes. You're you know more so than me. Uh, you're a people person, but yeah, even you know even a guy like you could go through their day and hardly you know make eye contact with somebody, right? Because you're right. You're so you're so immersed in it. So yeah. So I think that's just a great it's a great challenge, particularly to people like us. Right. You know, it just makes me think that, you know, Jesus very clearly summed up all of the laws, all the commandments by simply saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. And what a great reminder that that in order to love your neighbor, you need to engage your neighbor. And 
and see your neighbor as as a soul, as an incredible creation. And what a great reminder. Thank you for that. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up our time, I just really want to thank you for for joining us today. This has been a, a great conversation and uh, it's been a blessing to me. Um, do you have any final thoughts or anything you want to conclude with? Oh, I feel like I should have a joke or something, but I don't like, or a good story about Wes. Prepared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now thanks Wes for calling me up to chat with you. Um, the time we spent after together is, is, uh, something i'll never forget those were just amazing years memorable so i know a lot of time has gone by um since then but yeah there's a bond you know that that kind of gets made you know guys that get to serve in ways like that so Mm -hmm. yeah i appreciate you appreciate what you're doing here with this podcast i think it's a great idea pilots love to tell stories (laughs) um Maybe there's a little bit of storyteller in all of us. So I think you're going to get a lot of uh, great opportunities on this podcast to do just that. And uh, I think it's awesome to just connect the dots and, and um, you know, see how that ties into God's story. So yeah, I wish you the best on it. All right. Right after this, I'm just going to go subscribe. <laughs> subscribe. Yes. Please hit that subscribe button. Help us grow this. Tell your friends, <laughs> tell your neighbors. So, all right, Mike. Well, again, thank you very much. And we look forward to chatting with you again soon. Take care, Wes. Thanks. I want to thank Mike for his time today. And he said some things that really made me think about how we look at God and how we sense his presence at times and how that affects our perspective. Mike talked a lot about perspective, sharing the story of flying the Sudanese pastor uh, back to back to his home village after being awake, being away for uh, some time for training. And, you know, during that flight, he was experiencing just a bad attitude and frustrated, long day, tired, fatigued. You know, that's a very common common thing we all experience. But when they returned and Mike saw the villagers' response to the return of, of their dear pastor, how that changed his his perspective. Just in a moment, it changed his perspective. You know, we we all go through seasons of life and view the world and view our environment. Uh, based off uh, our perspective, you know, we we think about how we viewed things <clears throat> as a child, as we viewed the world as we grew up as teenagers in high school, uh, as how we viewed the world and our perspective when we went off to college. Oftentimes, that phase of knowing everything, our parents know nothing. We're all wise and all smart, you know, through those late teenage years and early 20s. Then we go through the perspective of, of uh, life after college when we perhaps get married and a- adjust to married life, become parents for the first time, uh, become um, you know parents as, as our children grow up in different phases of, of child rearing. And then we reach the, the stage of being, becoming an empty nester and then perhaps grandparents and so forth. And each of those phases 
brings a different perspective and how we view how we view life. But one thing that that Mike's conversation really really made me think about is how do we view God, and what perspective and how does our life affect our perspective on who God is. And of course, we know from Scripture that God does not change. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's the beginning of the end. And He doesn't change. What changes is, is our perspective and our hearts. And this topic made me think about a verse from Ephesians chapter 3. It's verses 17 through 19. And you know, oftentimes our perspective can affect our relationship with with others just as as mike was experiencing that day but our perspective can affect our relationship with god and there's countless psalms about about that about highs and lows about uh, mountaintop experiences and then the times of going through the valley or being the outcast but yet through all of that God's love never changes for us. His perspective for us is that we are loved so deeply that he sent Jesus to die on the cross so that we may live and have life abundantly. And no matter what we feel, no matter what we perceive, no matter our environment, no matter what is going on around us, God's love for us never changes. It also made me think, you know, Mike was talking about the perspective just from an aviation standpoint about, uh, you know, being on the ground in the war-torn areas in Sudan. He made mention of, you know, loading airplanes at times and hearing mortar fire in the background. But yet as soon as you take off as soon as you get in the air the ravages of the war-torn region begin to fade away and you begin to see a whole new world you begin to see the beauty of the creation the mountains the rivers the streams the trees the topography you begin to see all that and you begin to see less and less of the people as they get smaller and smaller and you begin to see more and more of creation and in some ways more and more of the hand of God. And, you know, aviation is like that from, from the takeoff roll to the climb out to the en route climb to the cruise, to descent, descent planning, descent profiles, uh, approach and landing. Each phase of flight has brings a different perspective, a different view, a different viewpoint. And we experience that same thing in in our lives. But again, the thing that never changes is God's love. And I want to close just by sharing this verse from you, with you from uh, Ephesians 3, verses 17 through 19. It says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, what is the length, what is the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
God's love for us never changes. Regardless what perspective we have on that particular day, his love never changes. And I was having a conversation with my pastor a few days ago. And in, in, in essence, we were talking about the same thing. And he was sharing um, some tools that he's used in, in his life about reminding ourselves of God's love. And um, it was simply this. When, when your mind begins to fill itself with, with, with lies, with deceptions, with things that you know are not true, but yet create tension in yourself, to create anxiety, create fear. It says, write those things down on a piece of paper. Write all the fears, all, all the anxieties, all the things that are triggering you. All those things that are affecting your perspective. And then on the opposite side of the page, look into God's word, look into the Bible and find God's truth that counteracts every one of those things. And that's how we change our perspective. And that's how we live lives of freedom. And that's how we live lives that are filled with the fullness of God. And I leave with you today with that thought. Seek first God's kingdom. Seek him first. When the, when, the, when, when the thoughts come into your life that cause you to struggle, that cause you to fear, that cause you to have anxiety, know that God's love never changes and God is with you, whether you're in the valley, whether you're in the depth, whether you're on the mountaintop or whether you're the outcast, God's love for you is real. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Plain Truth Podcast. We'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Plain Truth Podcast. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe and follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to come back next week for more discussions and stories about God's Word and the amazing world of aviation. Until next time, set your course straight and stay on track.